0: through this whole passage, I'm going to give some commentary as we go through it. And you'll hear some of the commentary as we read through this. Begin with verse 1. Hear us, O shepherd of Israel. You who led Joseph like a flock, I am the good shepherd. You who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might. Come and save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. I am the light of the world. O Lord God Almighty, how long will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. I am the bread of life. You have made them dark tears by the bowlful. You have made us a source of contention to our neighbors, and our enemies mock us. Restore us, O God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. I am the light of the world. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were filled, were covered with the shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. I am the true vine. Verse 11 It sent out its bows to the sea. It shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down the walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it, and the creatures of the field feed on it. I am the true vine. Verse 14 Return to us, O God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over the vine, the root your right hand has planted, the son you have raised up for yourself. I am the true vine. Verse 16, your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man that you have raised up for yourself. I am the resurrection and the life. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us, and we will call on your name. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Restore us, O Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. I am the light of the world. Could it be that the Apostle John, in writing the Gospel of John, was thinking about Psalm 80 and the Holy Spirit, Did you notice that many of these phrases came from the great I am statements of the Gospel of John? We've been going through a series over the last couple of months entitled The Great I Am, and we've been looking at the I am statements in the Gospel of John. And as we read through Psalm 80, we find every one of these statements in some way made reference to here in the Psalm. John wanted to present Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And he uses that by using statements, seven statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this morning, we'll look at the seventh statement, I am the true vine. Let's bow our hearts and our heads in a word of prayer, and let's ask the Lord's blessing on our time together. Father, we thank you for these moments that we can spend together. Our desire, Father, is to hear the voice of your Spirit, lead us into the truth of your heart. Father, would you prune us this morning by way of your Holy Spirit, mold us and grow us into the image and the likeness of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, remove the old and produce the new in us personally, and also, Father, in us corporately as your body. Thank you for each one that is here. We pray that you would guide and direct us in these moments as we spend in the scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was the first year of our marriage, and we moved back to Michigan, and we moved into a one-bedroom apartment. It was very small, very tiny, and a gift was given to us by way of a warming gift for our arrival at Grace Bible College. They gave us this beautiful fern, and this fern was fairly large. It was in a, in a plant, in a bowl that you could, you could hang from the ceiling. And so we had this fern, and it was big. It was quite large. My wife decided to go shopping, and so she left. And I told her, I said, I think I'm going to stay home, and I'm going to just trim up the fern, the fern. <clears throat> when she came back, the fern was a butched fern. Um, she looked at me and said, what in the world did you do? Well, I pruned it. You killed it. It will grow back. Unfortunately, that fern didn't make it. It never did grow back. And from that day forth, we didn't have any kids at that time, but when our kids uh, began to show up, she never let me get close to the kids when it came to haircut time. <laughs> And I can see why, too. The fern was pretty much butchered. It was, it was done very poorly, and I am not a very good gardener. But I have to tell you that God, our Heavenly Father, is the gardener of heaven and earth and the gardener of your soul. I'm going to ask you this morning later on in about 15, 20 minutes, I'm going to ask you to allow the Spirit of God to prune you And he will do a masterful job if you let him. Some of us need to be pruned. Some of us need to have some things cut out of our life. And so later on this morning, I'm going to ask you to allow the Spirit of God to prune you, and he will not do what I have done to the fern. He will be gentle, he will be gracious, and he will be all-knowing about who you are and what you might need to have cut out and also replaced. As we look forward to spring, one of the things I enjoy about spring, I can't wait for the warm weather to come because I know that when warm weather comes, I love to go out in the garden. And I love to plant. And I can't wait for my tulips to come up. I've got 120 of them planted. It's the first time I've ever planted tulips. And when I go out there and I look at the snow-covered area where they've been planted, I keep thinking to myself, they're coming up, the weather's coming. And I love to get my hands in the dirt, and I love to get my fingernails full of dirt because there's something in us that we like to garden. In fact, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them as gardeners to take care of the garden. And to make sure that the garden was taken care of. God seeks growth for each of us, and He will use everything and anything in our life to prune us and to bring about His good. He does the pruning. I believe He does that individually, and He also does it corporately as well. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 15? We come to the last I am statement here this morning. I have to tell you that this is very unique for me. I'm not used to holding something in my hands when I preach. And so this is going to be a little bit awkward, maybe for me, and I hope it's not awkward for you. I, um, I like to have the freedom to move around, and these things just really bind me. So if I feel like I'm being bound this morning, you'll understand that I have to stay with this microphone. John chapter 15 is our text this morning, and I'd like us to take a moment to read through John chapter 15. And would you follow along as I read? Jesus says it this way, verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that you may have joy, that you may be in me and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and to bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. I want you to notice here that Jesus says right up front that he is the true vine. This is the seventh statement in the Gospel of John where he uses the term I am. Remember that when Moses was on the mount, the holy mount, God came to him and God asked Moses and had a conversation with Moses. And you remember that Moses asked the name, who are you? And God responded to Moses and said, I am who I am. And Jesus makes these phenomenal statements in the Gospel of John where he identifies himself as the great I am. He is the one who is the deity, the one who proclaims himself to be the God, the one and only God. The statement Jesus makes of himself as being the true vine is the last statement that he will make here in the Gospel of John. I'd like you to notice a couple of observations about these 17 verses that I believe are very important for us to come to understand what Jesus means by this statement, but also to understand the text. The first thing that we want to notice about this text is that this statement is not about how to be saved. This is a statement rather about bearing fruit, And it is about the result of salvation. We have made it very clear, and we continually say this. Salvation is by grace through faith alone. We are not saved by anything that we do in and of ourselves. We are saved by what God has done for us through the Son, His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, and the work has been done for us. We are saved not by our works, not by what we do, but rather by the work that has been done at Calvary. And so this statement that we find here in this passage of Scripture, some will read this passage and say, See, we need to work for our salvation. We need to do something for our salvation. Go back just a moment in this text to John chapter 13. Remember the context. It's a very somber time. It's the last couple of hours that Jesus has With his disciples and Peter will make this statement in John chapter 13 he says in verse 36 the Bible says Simon Peter asked him Lord where are you going Jesus replied where I am going you cannot follow now for you will follow me later Peter asked Lord why can't I follow you now I will lay my life down for you then Jesus answered will you really lay your life down for me Peter Peter was very sincere. Peter was very motivated. He was ready to put his life down for the Savior. I'd like to suggest to you that the religion that Peter had at this point was his own religion of, I can do this for you, Lord. And the Lord said, Peter, you can't even do that for me. Every religion is thrown under the bus by the statement that Jesus makes when he says, back in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Every religion, last week we saw, was thrown under the bus by Jesus' statement. And friends, the most dangerous religion on the planet, the most dangerous religion that you and I have to face, it's not Islam, it's not Buddha, It's the religion that comes from our own soul, and it's the religion that comes from within. It's the religion of I. We need to see here that we need to die to I. The I religion of me, myself, and I is one of the most dangerous religions that we can possibly have. When we think that we can somehow do something for God... The trilogy of me, myself, and I is one of the most dangerous trilogies that leads to a path of death, to destruction, to emptiness, to meaninglessness. And Jesus is saying here to his disciples, he's saying, if you want to have life, if you want to have salvation, it has to come through me. But we see here that all religions are thrown under the bus by way of, we can't do anything to please him. Which leads to the second observation about this text. Because salvation is by grace, so is the work of sanctification. And I think that's what Jesus is saying in this text. He wants to see that being saved by us knowing that Christ died for our sins is a work of Christ. But even, friends, even our sanctification... I think oftentimes we get this confused. We think that now that we're saved, now I have to work out my salvation, and we take that working out as being something that I have to do. And we're going to see from the Scriptures that that's not what the Scriptures teach. The Scriptures teach that everything that happens in our salvation experience, from salvation to even our sanctification, sanctification is us becoming holy. And that's what the word means, sanctification means to be set apart. It means that we are set apart from the world that we have been born into, the world of sin. We are now set apart to do things for his glory. That is, we live a holy life. It's interesting that we call him the Holy Spirit. But in this dispensation of grace, when we believe that Christ died for our sins, the Holy Spirit, comes in to indwell the believer, and that's the product that he produces in us, the product of holiness. So our sanctification is a work of God. Let's go to the text now, and let's just walk through some of these verses. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine. I, I is really how it's stated in the Greek. It's almost a double I, I, to get the attention of the reader, I, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Notice that the gardener here is the father. The father, the all-wise father, is the one that knows best. And he knows how to prune us because he knows us perfectly. And the father here is the one who does the gardening. Look at the next verse. He cuts off, that is the Father, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So there's a cutting that happens if it's not productive, but there's also a pruning for those that are productive. If we are in Christ, there's going to be times and places Where, even though we're being productive for Him, He will even prune us in that midst of production. The Father knows best on how to prune. And Jesus claims Himself as being the vine. And we are connected to the vine by way of, if we are in Christ, and Paul will use this phrase in Christ, in Christ. In Christ, Jesus will use the phrase remain. Notice how many times the word remain is used in this text. Eleven times we find the word remain in this text. Eleven times. And when we read here in verse three, he says, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Remain in the vine. Look at verse 4. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5, I am the true vine. You are the branches. If a man remains, and 11 times, Jesus is going to use this phrase, remain, remain. Take a moment and just step back from the text and look at the passage here for a moment. Look at chapter 14. What does Jesus talk about in chapter 14, verses 5 to the end of the chapter? My Bible has the promise of the Holy Spirit. Look at chapter 16, verse 5 through verse 16. What is Jesus talking about there? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that that in these last few hours of Jesus' life, Jesus is going to teach his disciples and give them insight into what the God the Father is doing. Jesus is going to lay his life down. But in laying his life down and coming back to life and ascending back to heaven... He's going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts 2. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the nation of Israel. The work of the Holy Spirit began. I believe that the new covenant of the Holy Spirit began in Acts chapter 2. And we, my friends, the body of Christ, we are recipients of that Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit is what Paul talks about for the believer today. That when we believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit now is the one who's actively at work in revealing who God is. Remember, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all three of them reveal themselves throughout the scripture. The Father in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ as we see his life in these 33 years that he lived and now we see The Holy Spirit indwelling the believer and the new covenant that was promised to the nation of Israel. I believe the church, the body of Christ today is tasting some of those heavenly blessings of what was promised to the nation of Israel. But in the future, they will be fulfilled completely in the coming kingdom. But we have Christ in us. That's the teaching of Paul. It's the words here that Jesus used, remain in me remain in me. Well, how could they do that at this point? The disciples couldn't do that here in this historical setting when these words were spoken. Why couldn't they do that? Because the Holy Spirit had not been given yet. And so chapter 14 and chapter 16, we find this teaching of the Holy Spirit. This is the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. This age that we live in was never prophesied in the Old Testament. This is the age that we live in. It's a mysterious age. Why is it so mysterious? Because it's the work that the Holy Spirit is doing. How do you grab hold of the Spirit? You don't. He's a spirit. What is he doing? Well, the Scriptures teach us through the pen of the Apostle Paul. We understand what God is doing today in this age of grace this age that gives us the insight into the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit today saves us. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. The Holy Spirit circumcises us. The Holy Spirit baptizes us. The Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit rebukes us. The Holy Spirit produces Christ-likeness in us. Let's keep our finger here in John chapter 15. We're going to come back, but turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is a fascinating passage of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where we see the Apostle Paul deal with the new covenant. In fact, he calls it the new covenant here in 2 Corinthians 3. And it's the glory of the new covenant, the work of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 3, verse 7, now if the ministry that brought death, that is the law, which was engraved in letters of stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not stand, look steadily at the face of Moses because of his glory, fading though as as it was. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? This is the work of the Spirit. All of chapter 3 is the work of the Spirit. Skip down to verse 17 and 18 especially. Look at what Paul says. Now the Lord is the Spirit And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. We are being transformed. We're being changed from the inside out into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. If you want to know who the Lord is, We've got the Spirit, and the Spirit and the Lord are equal. What Jesus will say is, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Put them together, friends. Connect the dots. If you want to see what the Father is, look at Jesus Christ. If you want to see who Jesus Christ is, look at the Spirit of God. And all three of them will be consistent in and of themselves because this is the Godhead revealed in all of the Scriptures from the beginning to the end. It's unbelievable to see what God is doing in this age of grace that we live in. God is at work. Can I use the words here of Jesus? And we'll see that these are not words that Jesus uses for us, but he prunes us, he pricks us, he changes us from the inside out. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the work that God is doing in our lives. Let's go back to John chapter 15 and look at this passage from a couple of more perspectives here. The work of the Holy Spirit being in Christ. Jesus is saying, remain in me. How do we remain in him? It's through the work of the Holy Spirit, belief. But notice what Jesus will do here. He will define for us what it means to remain in him. Look at John chapter 15, verse 10. John chapter 15, verse 10. He says it this way. He says, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments, remain in me. How do we remain in Christ? Or At least how does Jesus say to his disciples? Obey. Be obedient. Do whatever I ask you to do. Jesus Christ was obedient to the will of the Father. What was the will of the Father? It was to go to the cross and to give his life for the sins of the world. That was the desire of the Father. The gardener took Jesus Christ and said, you must pay the penalty for the sins of the world. That was the will of the Father. And he carried it out in obedience to what God the Father wanted, obedience is not easy. Obedience is demanding at times. We build on what God has given us. God has given us Christ and we obey Christ in this dispensation of grace. Paul says it the same way in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Work out your salvation. How do you work it out? You obey. You're obedient in everything, in all of the things in life. Be obedient. Let me give you a story of what it might look like to obey. A building entrepreneur opened a cleaning business in a small city. She was a hard worker, and like other business people in her community, she was always competing for business. It wasn't long before she became aware of the reputation of one wealthy lady in town who used any particular cleaning service only once. In all of her years, she'd never hired the same service twice to clean her large house. When I finally got my call, the entrepreneur said, I was going to give it my personal best. And we went into that house and we cleaned and we gave it our absolute best. As we cleaned throughout the house, we'd find a variety of change along the way. We just placed it in a little cup in the kitchen. After completing the job, the entrepreneur received her payment and left. Imagine her shock when a few weeks later she got a phone call from the wealthy lady asking her to clean her house a second time. For the life of her, she couldn't understand why she was getting a second chance when no one else did. I would love to do it again, the entrepreneur answered, but can I ask you a question? With all of the people who've cleaned your house, why are you letting me do it a second time? It's very simple, the wealthy lady answered $1.61. Excuse me? You were the only one who found the entire $1.61 in change that I had strategically placed throughout the house, she explained. Some people found 89 cents, some found 90, some found $1.25, one found $1.40, but you were the only one who found the entire dollar sixty-one. What kind of person are you when it comes to obedience, to obey him in the little things in life? What does God ask us to do in our obedience to him? What is he asking of us in our life right now? For you, it might be different than me, but there's always that step of obedience. Will I obey God today? Jesus says that if you remain in me, one of the things that you will do is that you will obey. Going back to the text here, there's a second element in which he identifies what remain means, and that is in verse 10 and 11. He says, If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Verse 11 I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My commandment is this. Verse 12 Love each other as I have loved you. And there's the greatest commandment of all. What is God attempting to do in the body of Christ today? He's attempting. To reveal his love and the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 begins with love. And all of them flow from that. What is the Spirit of God doing in the church today? The church today, I believe, is a place where we learn to love each other. Notice that love is mentioned in this text some nine times in this passage. Nine times. Jesus says, if you show your love, that's a description of remaining in me. If you love other people, this is a description of me. And friends, we're not talking about personality types here. I think we need to take our personality types and we need to put them off on the shelf and say, this is not because of how I'm wired. You know, I'm outgoing or I'm not outgoing. We're not talking about personality types. We have to take that excuse and we've got to take it off the shelf and say, no, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what does loving other people look like through you through your personality type. God wants to flow through you. God wants to flow in you and through you to love other people. It's not for ourselves. It's not to keep for ourselves, but rather it's to give away and to give other people that element of coming underneath them and saying, you are more important than I am. You know, love, sometimes love is just a simple thing like this. Good morning. It is good to see you, and you shake their hand. Or if you don't shake hands, maybe you bump them with your elbow. Maybe you're not a handshaker. Maybe you're a bumper. Well, be a bumper. Be a handshaker. Some of us are huggers. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we demonstrate reaching out into the lives and the hearts of other people. Love is the characteristic here that Jesus gives of those who remain in him. I believe that our faith will only grow... Our faith will only grow as much as we allow ourselves to be uncomfortable. Think about it. Love is never easy. Love is never comfortable. Yeah, but I don't feel comfortable doing that. That's okay. You know what I've heard from our our teenagers when they go on these mission trips? And I've been just thinking about hearing the stories as they come back. It's amazing to hear what they do and some of the things that they're involved in. And they say things like, you know, I, just, I never get the opportunities to do that. I, they take me out of my comfort zone. Sure, you plunk somebody in another, in another culture <laughs> and you let them try and survive and they're out of their comfort zone. I think that's what we need to do in the church. Maybe what we need to do is just get out of our comfort zone to see that it's a place where we allow the Spirit of God to love other people through us. And to take us, maybe a comfort zone for you might be different than me, but how is Christ being revealed in our lives as the church, the body of Christ today? I think one of them, one specific way, is how we reach out and we love the people around us. Some of the results that Jesus gives here in this passage, and we're going to go through these fairly quickly because of time. but some of the results is, um, there's the dollar61. Am I behind? I think I am. Here are three results of this passage that Jesus gives here. What are some of the results of these remaining in him? Number one, joy. doesn't matter what the circumstance. We're not talking about happiness here. We're talking about joy, a fulfillment in life that says it's good. I see that. There's a joy. There's also We become not friends here. Jesus will use the term friends. I'm going to suggest that the term that Jesus uses for the church today, the body of Christ, is just that. We are the body. We are not friends. We are the body. We are connected to him in such a unique, intimate relationship in this dispensation of grace that is much different than even the disciples had here. They were called friends. We are not friends with God We are not servants. We are the body. And think about that. The church, the body of Christ, we are connected to one another in a very spiritual, unique way. And it is very um, intimate as to that connect. We need each other. Wouldn't that be something if, you know, your body would not function very well if a toe or a knee or a hand decided not to show up today to live? You know, we're kind of main. We're kind of walk through life with half of the body. We need each other. And can I suggest to you that as the days continue to move forward, we will need each other like never before in the days to come. I think we are on some interesting year, uh, days uh, that we are experiencing as a nation. We are positioned as a church, I believe, in a very unique place here in Holland. And we are not here by chance. But there is a sense in which we've got this calling that God has placed, not as a friend, but as the body. And then he also says that we do his work fully. There's a third observation that I'd like to make, and I'd like to do this in the next couple of minutes. But this is where the passage just un- it explodes with excitement. I want you to notice that this passage here, this vine theme that we've been talking about, this vine theme is a national corporate theme that is connected to the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel here is known as the vine. We today in the United States of America, what is our emblem? What's our national emblem? We have an eagle. That's our emblem. What is the emblem for the nation of Israel? It's the vine. It's the vine. In fact, on the temple, when Jesus was here, the temple at the front of it, there was a vine that was on the front of the temple, and it was the emblem that the nation of Israel looked at. Every time they went into the temple, they would see this emblem, and they would say, that's right, we're the vine. When Jesus makes this statement to the disciples, he is making a statement to the nation of Israel, revealing himself to the nation of Israel and saying, he is their Messiah. Go back just a moment to John chapter 1. Let's, let's turn back there just real quick. Look at John chapter 1. Look at the words that Jesus gives here in John chapter 1 in verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Who's his own? Nation of Israel. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Skip down to verse 30. Of John chapter 1. Look at verse 30 and 31. These are the words of John the Baptist. He says, this is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to whom? To Israel. Can I suggest to you that John chapter 15 Has the focal point of the nation of Israel, and the disciples here are hearing the words of Jesus, and Jesus is saying to these 12 disciples and to the nation of Israel, I am your Messiah. What did the nation of Israel do? The nation of Israel rejected and they said, No, we don't believe. We know that the nation of Israel has been set aside for a season because of their unbelief. But, friends, take this and put this in the bank. When God makes a promise, he will fulfill it. And the promises to Israel have not been fulfilled yet. The nation of Israel is not done yet. Keep your eye on Israel over these next couple of weeks, over the next couple of months, over the next couple of years if we stay this long. And I say that honestly to say that the rapture of the church with us being taken out and the Holy Spirit who is holding back evil When the Holy Spirit is taken out of this place, can you imagine what this world will be like? And it is at that point that God will go back and deal with the nation of Israel again. Because their 70th week, the week that all of the fulfillment of the covenant of Abraham and David and the new covenant, all of the promises of the Old Testament covenants have not yet been fulfilled yet, but they will come together in the coming of the Messiah when he sets up his kingdom, and they will see him, and they will believe, and the nations will come, and they'll worship at Jerusalem in that coming kingdom. That is still future. And this passage, I believe, is full of Jewish overtones to the nation of Israel. Because of time, we won't take a look at Romans chapter 11, but there's a couple of things that we learn by Romans chapter 11. If you're taking notes, you might want to read Romans chapter 11, verses 20 and following, where... Paul talks about this theme. What has happened to the nation of Israel? Where is the nation of Israel? Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul lays that out. Here's what he does say about the church, and he encourages the church to do this. We need to stand by faith, not by our works. And that's what he says in Romans chapter 11, verse 20. We are, we are not to do works to please God. We are to be people of the faith. We believe the promises of God. Believe in something much bigger than yourself. Die to self and live for Christ. Die daily. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust your sincerity. Don't trust your works. Trust in Christ. Faith in Christ. The second thing that Paul was saying in this passage is avoid being conceited. There's a sense of conceit that can come. And Paul says, look out. Don't become conceited because we are the body of Of Christ, we are the ones who have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ today. We need to build on that with a sense of humbleness and a sense of understanding God's love and grace that has been spilled out upon us. And so what Paul will say in this passage is, have a humble heart, believe, and have faith. John chapter 15 is a powerful passage where Jesus makes the statement, I am the true vine. I believe that there's application for us today. I believe that we have, as this passage says, there are some things that we, the church, the body of Christ, can take for ourselves. The application of this is this. Will you and I allow the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Christ, to mold us and to make us into his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? He's the master. He's the doctorate of our souls. Will you and I humble ourselves before him? Friends, will you let him cut away gossip, anger, resentment, hatred, jealousy, apathy, an unforgiving spirit? If we allow him, he will be our Savior. Christ is our Savior, and he will also be our sanctifier through the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you know him? Have you believed in him? Is he your savior first? If you haven't come to faith in Christ, that's the first step. The muscle of faith begins at the cross. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then watch what the spirit of God will do as he molds us into the image of Christ. And he will prune you and I back exactly the way that he wants as we allow him to do that. He's the master pruner. He's the head of the church what do you think? Will you give your allegiance to him and allow him to take your life and just say, Father, here I am. Do whatever you want with my soul. Will you bow your heart and your head with me this morning as we close? Father, you are the great, the great I am of the heavens and the earth. We have seen that through this great book written by the disciple John. Thank you, Father, that These statements give us the reality of the greatness of your son. Father, we proclaim again today, on this first day of the week, the reality that he died in our place, that he rose again, and that he is the head of the church today. Father, it is our prayer that you would be the one who would take us and mold us into his image. Father, I pray for any that are here this morning that haven't put their faith and their trust in Christ. I pray that today would be the day that the reality of seeing him for who he is, that they would put their faith and their trust in him and then allow that pruning process to begin. Father, thank you for what you're doing in us and among us. And I pray, Father, your blessing of grace upon us in Jesus' name. Amen.